0: Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity, Westerhales. We're delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you would be blessed through it. Wonderful, and uh, just bless all the children. Just love to see them worship and get the streamers out. I love color, dancing in worship. It's, uh, sometimes you've, you've got a break out of your own. <laughs> I know I, I've had to. I've had to in the past. Uh, um, I grew up in Lewis, so you were rigid in worship, and but uh, but you, but you, su- you sung g- gustily. I would say. I would say. So uh, uh, we're we're in Joshua chapter five. So if you have a Bible, you might want to um, turn that up there, and uh, we're going to ask God for His help as we turn to His Word. Father God, we worship You. Great are You, Lord in every way possible. And your greatness, none can fathom. We come to your word. We come uh, to put ourselves under your word and not over your word. We come to allow the text which you have inspired by your Holy Spirit to put ourselves under that text so that you can speak to us. And Lord, when you speak, you speak the very words of eternal life. You speak the words of life, and we want to experience that life. So whatever word you have for us today, Lord, would you speak to your servants? Come and meet with us. And may the speaker decrease so that Jesus Christ of Nazareth would increase, for we ask it in his holy name. Amen. Amen. We're in this series, um, which is about, to use the fancy theological word, theophany, when God turns up, God appearing. And we've seen God appear in, in various uh, ways, various manifestations, but today we're on the first where I'm going to give you, well, it certainly preached you in this way, that God appears as a man, God turns up as a, as a person. And... Here's the question, if the Bible is true and it says that no one can see God and live, how come there are people in the Bible who seem to have seen God, met with God, and yet survived to tell the tale? I'm thinking about very famous stories, stories you'll know about, like uh, Jacob, and he wrestles with God. And by the end of it, he gets a brand new name, which is Israel, which means he wrestles with God. And Joshua wrestles with a man who, it turns out, is the Lord, and he lives to tell the tale. I'm thinking about famous stories like Abraham and Sarah, Father Abraham, and three men come to visit Abraham and Sarah. They're in their tents, and the three men come. It turns out one of those men is the Lord, and he speaks, and the Lord speaks to him. And Abraham has had an encounter with the Lord in human form and he lives to tell the tale. How's that possible? How do you live to tell the tale? Well, you know the Sunday school answer. What's the Sunday school answer? Because of Jesus. (laughs) That's the Sunday school answer, and that's the answer this time. Jesus is the answer. He's the one who answers most of the questions most of the time. John spoke about Jesus when he saw him come. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet of all. And John saw Jesus and he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I spoke to you about when I said there's one coming after me who was before me. A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. You see, in Jesus, we find that God is revealed john tells us in the previous john 1.18 says says no one has seen god but the only begotten son the one and only son who is himself god and is closest to the father's heart he has revealed god to us he has made him known so god is revealed in jesus and jesus is the one who was because john says he was before me and he is the one who is and he is the one who is to come. He always was, he always is, and he is to come soon. You've heard that phrase in church, even if you're new to church, the one who was and is and is to come. So Jesus was, he is, he said about himself, um, the, the Jews were talking to him, and he said to the Jews, uh, that Abraham rejoiced to see my day and they just looked at him and said you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen abraham and jesus says to them in john 8:58 before abraham was born i am he is the one who is and he's the one who is to come he says behold i'm coming soon and my reward is with me and so because jesus is the one jesus the lord who was and is and is to come we shouldn't be surprised if jesus The eternal Son, the Christ of God, turns up in the Old Testament. Because how many of you know that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he didn't come into existence at that point? Because he always was. And so you shouldn't be surprised to find that theologians have a fancy word for that. When Jesus turns up, and they don't call it a theophany, they call it a Christophany a revealing of Christ in the Old Testament. And I believe we have one of them here in Joshua chapter 5. And I'm going to read the story, and then I'm going to give you three reasons why I believe that this is a that, that that God the Son, Jesus the Christ, is turning up. In the Old Testament. So let's read verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and he asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, the first thing, the first clue, and the first reason why this is no ordinary man is the, the, the sort of things that this man said. The first thing he, he says, um, Joshua says to him, Remember the, the armies of Israel, there's 40,000 of them now. 40,000 troops have crossed over the River Jordan. Um, They're armed, but they're not armed and ready because God's just told them that they're all to get circumcised. So the whole army, every every single fighting man has been circumcised. They're in agony, and Israel are in a vulnerable situation, as you can imagine. Nobody's ready for (laughs) fighting at that stage. And this man turns up with a sword in his hand. And quite rightly, Joshua, the commander of Israel, he's looking at this guy and he asks him a very pertinent question. Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Because we're surrounded by enemies right now. And the man says, neither. It's actually funnier in the Hebrew because... (laughs) It just simply says, he says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And the man goes, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) God doesn't need to take sides. I, I... I grew up uh, in a school where there were there were a few bullies who used to go around the school, a few little groups of guys, and they would go around and they'd ask you a question, are you for Rangers or are you for Celtic? And if you said the wrong answer, you got a pounding. Okay. Now, I got asked that a couple of times. Now. I support the, the famous Aberdeen, of course. And uh, so I would just, I, I'd just say neither. <laughs> I'd just say Aberdeen. Now, I don't know what it was about Aberdeen. Maybe Aberdeen was seen as zero threat to anybody or that, but I never got a pounding, never got a pounding. But there were groups down there. Everybody, everybody wants to claim God on their side, don't they? You can be sure right now that there are Christians in Ukraine and there are Christians in Russia. And they're praying for their loved ones who might be fighting in that awful war right now. And maybe they're praying that God would give them the victory, and they're praying that God will be on their side, and God will protect their loved ones. But God doesn't need to take any side. Perhaps an illustration of this. uh, It'll help us understand what I mean by that. Um, There's a famous story uh, during the American Civil War, and uh, Abraham Lincoln is in his presidential office, and a rich benefactor comes in, and she is brought into uh, the office. I don't know if it was the Oval Office in those days. I don't even know if it was built. But she came into the presidential office, and she sees a Bible lying on his desk, and she looks at Abraham Lincoln and she says, "She says, Mr. President, I just feel sure God is on our side. And Abraham Lincoln turned to her and said, Madam, I would be much more concerned that we are on God's side. God doesn't need to take sides. We need to make sure, are we on his side? Joshua says to this man who turns up, this warrior, turns up with a sword in his hand, and he says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? He says, no, neither. I'm not. But as commander, he says, of the Lord's armies, the armies of the Lord, I have come. The next thing he says is interesting as well. Um, The commanders of the Lord's army replies in verse 15. He says to Joshua, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. Now, that should fire off a few neurons in the brain. Where have I heard that before? Where have you heard that before? Moses, right? Remember we were speaking about Moses and Moses is at the burning bush and the Lord speaks to him from the bush, from the fire, and he says, Take off your shoes, Moses. Take off your sandals for the place you're walking is holy. And why was the ground holy? Because God had turned up. Because God was there. Why is the ground holy right now? Because God has turned up. God has turned up and the ground was holy. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. So that's the first reason, the things that this man says. That's the first clue. The second clue is what Joshua did, and it's slightly obscured in the New International Version. I usually preach from the New International Version, um, but all versions of the Bible are translations and don't always get it precisely right, um, but let's just uh, just read this um, From verse 13, now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, he saw the man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Now, every other version of the Bible, most translations and all literal translations Point out that the word used there is worship. Joshua fell down at the feet of this man with a drawn sword in his hand and he worships him. Now, this messenger of God could not have been an ordinary man because if he was, if he was a man from God or a man of God, He would have told him to get up. I'm thinking of Acts chapter 14 and Paul and Barnabas, they're out preaching the gospel and they're taking the gospel into a place called uh, Lystra and they they go into Lystra and they heal a man and it's so amazing, this healing. Everybody is like, it's the buzz of the town. Everybody's like, this is amazing. And you know what they start to say? These are the gods come in human form and all the people start to worship Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas are men of God. So what do they do? They run, in Acts chapter 14, they run into the middle of them, tearing their clothes and says, what are you doing? Stop doing this. We're here to bring the good news of Jesus to you and for you to turn from these worthless practices where you're worshiping merely men or statues and to turn to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and all that's in them worship God. Get up. Stop worshiping. If, if this was just a man of God, a human messenger of God, he would have told Joshua to get up, but he doesn't. And it can't be an angel of God. John tried that <laughs> in Revelation. And we read in uh, Revelation chapter 22, just glorious things of heaven. And it says in Revelation 22, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, all these glorious things we read in the book of Revelation. And when I heard and, and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant. Remember that word. I am a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this book Worship God. Joshua falls down at the feet of this man with a sword drawn, and he worships him, and the man doesn't stop him. Does that sound like anyone you know? It sounds just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. The third reason is that we read here that the Lord, Yahweh, Lord with capital, Letters And when you read Lord with capital letters, it's referring to the divine name, Yahweh, Jehovah, we sometimes do, it's, it's because it's unpronounceable and we, we put letters in there so we can pronounce it. And it says that the Lord spoke to Joshua in this. And it's interesting that uh, in the Hebrew Bible, there's no chapter divisions. I'd read from chapter five and I went over into chapter six. And, but in Hebrew, there's no chapter division there. I think this is a continuation of the story when it says Joshua did so, he took off his sandals for the place he was standing is holy. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in, no one came out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your... And then it says the Lord spoke. So three reasons here three reasons. And when when it says the Lord so I should point something out. When it says the Lord spoke, uh, I don't think it was just a voice that um, Joshua heard in his head or in his spirit. Uh, sometimes God does speak in that way. Um, but it is interesting that when we read these amazing stories of God turning up in human form, like when Jacob wrestles with God, the man's, it's the man who speaks to him. And when Abraham meets with these three men, who turns out to be the Lord, it's the man who speaks to him. The Lord spoke. And we know it was like that because when the Lord spoke to Abraham in the tent, Sarah was hiding just outside, listening to the conversation, and she heard what the Lord said. So it wasn't a voice in their heads. God spoke, and the Lord spoke here. And we find in the, that theologians have this word. It's called a Christophany. It's Jesus, Christ, the eternal Son, turning up in the Old Testament. But here's the question. Why is he turning up as a warrior? <laughs> why is he turning up with a sword in his hand? And that points us to an eternal truth, a truth that the Bible teaches about, that the Lord, Yahweh, is a warrior. The Lord is his name, Exodus 15.3. The Lord is a warrior. It means that God is not a pacifist. Maybe you thought that. <laughs> Maybe you are. And I'm sure you could produce a very good reason why you were. But God is not a pacifist. Because the reality is, if good is to triumph over evil, then evil has to be defeated. And the Lord says that he will defeat evil. That God says he is both willing to fight for his people because he loves you. And he's also able to fight for his people, because the Lord is a warrior. He's not a pacifist. One day he's going to bring an end to evil. And we see Jesus, his willingness to be a warrior on our behalf in his passion on his way to the cross. Jesus is in Gethsemane, the garden, and he's found praying. He wants his disciples to pray alongside him because every great battle and true battle and true win and true triumph of good over evil begins in that place of prayer. It's why, um, it's why I often say that uh, it's 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 those of you who who come to the prayer meeting every every week and you're so faithful and I thank you for you that there the greatest battles are won in the place of prayer. And Jesus was battling for us in the spiritual realms, on his knees in Gethsemane as he headed towards the cross. And then Judas turns up. He's there to betray Jesus and they arrest Jesus. And you remember what happened? Peter, he takes out his sword and he chops off the soldier's ear. And Jesus says, stop what you're doing. Do you think I'm leading a rebellion here? He heals the man's ear and he turns to Peter And he says these amazing words, Peter, are you not aware? (laughs) Are you not aware, Peter, that I can call on my father right now? And he will at once make 12 legions of angels available to me at my disposal. Now, that word legion in the Roman army, it meant a a fighting troop of between 4,000 and 6,000 men. So at a very minimum, we're talking about 48,000 angels at Jesus' command, at Jesus' disposal, at that moment, if he wanted. And if you've read your Bible, you'll know what one angel can do. (laughs) 48,000 of them. No one can stop the Lord. No one can stop the Lord of hosts. No one can stop the Lord of heaven's armies. Jesus has command over them. You know, Jesus, He's so gentle and He's so kind, He's so loving. God is so patient, so patient with you, He's so patient with me, He's so patient with this world, He's so patient with this this nation. He's abounding in love, slow to anger. But he's also a warrior. That though he is patient and though he's abounding in love and though he is slow to anger, he's also a warrior. And Jesus fights for breath and he fights for me as the the hymn says on that cross. And he brings about a great, there's a battle going on at the cross and he brings about a great victory over sin and over evil and over the devil and over the final enemy, which is death itself. And Jesus maybe doesn't look much like a warrior while he's here on earth. It's kind of veiled from us, even though we know he won a great battle. But there does come a moment right at the end of the Bible where Jesus is revealed as the warrior he is, because the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. It's a bit like um, a a general or the commander of an army suddenly being revealed with every badge and every medal and every stripe and put on parade. And we read about that parade in Revelation chapter 19. Just listen to it. It's absolutely incredible. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Remember, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us, Christ. The armies of heaven were following him. "'Riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, "'white and clean, and coming out of his mouth "'is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. "'He will rule them with an iron scepter. "'He treads the winepress of the fury "'of the wrath of God Almighty. "'On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, "'King of kings and Lord of lords.'" Suddenly we see right at the end of the Bible, it's hidden in gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but he's a warrior and he fights for you, and he's going to win the victory over evil, and he's ultimately going to put wrongs right, and one day there's going to be justice on this earth. Evil is not going to rule. It seems to rule right now. Wars, and famines, and mess, and pestilence, and right across the earth, but one day Jesus is coming, and he is a warrior, and he's going to make things right. Amen? Amen. He's going to make things right. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord His his name. And the only important question is, are you on the Lord's side? Not as God on your side. You, you, I know you want God on your side. And don't get me wrong. I, I'll preach about that other times. He fights for you. But that's not the important question. The important question is, are you on the Lord's side? When uh, I was in BBs for two years when I was young. In the boys brigade, and we used to sing. That was the hymn we sung. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Who will be his helpers? others' lives to bring? Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? By thy call of mercy, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. Savior, we are thine. How do you know you're on the Lord's side? Well, Joshua can be our example. We can just stick to the text and we'll see. How can you know You're on the Lord's side. The first thing, the person who is on the Lord's side is listening, it has got their ear open to what God has to say to them, to the message God has to say to them. Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and he asked the man, what message does my Lord have for his servant? What message do you have? The person who is on the Lord's side, his ear is always open. Say, what do you have to say to me, God? A bit like uh, if you you were serving in the forces and uh, you got up in the morning, you get yourself ready, and the first thing you'll be waiting to do is to hear the commands from your superior officer, from your commanding officer, what do I have to do today? Because I'm serving in the forces. When you wake up in the morning, I know what everyone does, they all look at your phones (laughs) in the morning, and if you're not leading a totally unproductive life, you'll be Part of looking at that phone will be, what do I need to do today? What task do I need to, what task do I need to accomplish today? The man or woman of God opens up their word, opens up the word of God and says, Lord, what would you say to me today? Lord, is there something you want me to do? Is there a task you have for me? How do we know we're on the Lord's side? We're, We're ready to say, Lord, what do you have me to do? The second thing is the person who's on the Lord's side never forgets that they're a servant. Never forgets that they're a servant. Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Remember the angel, this glorious angel in heaven who's showing John these amazing things. And he said, I'm, I'm just a servant just like you. <laughs> Through faith in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God. You can become friends with God through faithful, faithful living with him, through a lifetime of commitment to him. You can become such close friends with God. But never forget that you're also a servant. You'll know you're on the Lord's side when you don't forget that in the most unpopular parable in the whole (laughs) of the New Testament. Jesus' parable. Do you know what the most unpopular parable is? This is it. You won't like it. Luke 17, 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink, After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, so also when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. It's the most unpopular parable in the whole of the New Testament. The person who's on the Lord's side never forgets that they're a servant of God. And finally, the person who's on the Lord's side is obedient to the call and command of God. The commander of the Lord's army, verse 15, replied, "'Take off your sandals for the place "'where you're standing is holy,' and Joshua did so." Four very simple words, and Joshua did so. The person who's on the Lord's side is obedient when God says, this is what you're to do. He was to take off his shoes. It was a simple thing, but it makes you a bit vulnerable when a guy with a sword is in his hand (laughs) and can kill you in a second, but Joshua did so. He was obedient. So three things we can know today as we finish. How do I know I'm on the Lord's side? Am I listening? My ears open to say, God, what do you want to say to me? Am I remembering that I'm a servant? I'm not in charge. God, you're in charge. I'm a servant of God. Jesus was the ultimate servant. He, he's, the, he's the servant king. He's our example. And are we willing to do what he says, to live in obedience that would be on the Lord's side? I'm gonna play a song, and it's called The Lord is a Warrior. And as you listen to it, you'll know that, that humbling ourselves for, for God is not a negative thing. It's actually putting all our problems, all our difficulties, all our worries, and it's putting it on him and saying, God, you're going to carry them for me, and you're going to fight my battles. You're going to be a warrior for me. But I'm your servant, Lord. I'm listening to you. I'm ready to do what you say. I'm listening for your call and your command." Let's just close our eyes and let's just listen to this song for a few moments. I'll stand and sing this. The Lord. i oh. i uh-huh. take a moment just to offer yourself afresh to the Lord in service to him. You heard right at the beginning of the service that uh, our head can be all over the place, but then we enter the sanctuary and we start to think about the things of God and the things that really matter and the things that are really exciting and that change lives and change the world. Father, we worship you. We thank you for your revelation of yourself, Old and New Testament. We thank you for that glimpse of Jesus that we'll see one day as a warrior riding out in battle. Lord, help us to find ourselves on your side, and not just wanting you to follow our agendas, we offer ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.